You're excited now, aren't you? <laughs> now there's a, what's it called? Whiteboard. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, if you've not been with us for the past seven weeks, first of all, where have you been? It's good to see you. Welcome back. Um, secondly, you might not be aware that we are currently working our way through Paul's letter to the Philippians. I think it's fair to say that we're taking things at a leisurely pace. Um, we've done six weeks on chapter one. Um, oh yes. And then last week we've dipped our toes uh, into chapter two, tested the water, so to speak. Um, there are only four chapters in Philippians. If you, if you want, you can read the whole book in about ten minutes. Um, I've checked. Um, But I think when we read things quickly, then we miss sometimes what God is trying to say to us. Remember, this is God's living word to us, and he's desiring to speak to us through these pages. And very often when I'm preparing for a Sunday, I will read a passage like today's, and I'll think, okay, that's nice. Not really sure what I can say about that. But the longer I spend thinking about it, reflecting on it and praying about it, it's amazing how often God will just drop something into my heart. Um, So I think it's all right that we're taking our time uh, with this series and allowing God to speak to us through his word in new ways, maybe even through scriptures that are very familiar to us. Thank you so much for the worship this morning, guys. um, If you were paying attention to the worship, then the message has already been preached. It's amazing, the songs that we've sung today. Um, and how well they line up with what I think God is um, telling me to talk to you about this morning. So it's good to take our time. It's good to use other tools. It's good to use commentaries. You can find lots of study guides online now. You really don't need to pay for anything. Um, I've mentioned these guys before, the Bible Project. They've done some incredible videos that can help you understand the themes and content of the books of the Bible. And you can find them on YouTube or just search for them Um, on Google. And if you haven't done so already, please check them out. They're they're really good. And in a few weeks' time, we'll show you um, the video they've done for this book as well. But in the light of wanting to sort of approach things in a new way, try out different things, this week I decided to turn the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians, into a word cloud. Now, if you're not, yeah, I know, exciting. Um, If you're not familiar with a word cloud, basically you input a whole bunch of text Um, in this case, the the letters to the Philippians, and a bit of software arranges it into a pretty shape for you. Um, But what's really interesting is it highlights the most frequently used words in that text and makes them really big on the page. So you can get a sense of what um, the text is about. So this is the word cloud for Philippians. There we are. Isn't that pretty? And as you can see from there, the words most frequently used by Paul through the letter are Lord, God, Will, Christ, and Jesus. Mostly the titles or names. So, why were they so important to Paul? That's what I want to ask this morning. About once a month, Sean and I, we try to have a family day, a day out with our kids, um, a day of fun. Um, that's the aim. It sometimes depends on their mood. It sometimes depends on our mood. Um, but the last day out we had was to Stratford-upon-Avon. And while we were there, we decided to go and have a look around the house where um, William Shakespeare w- grew up. 
where he was born, in fact. Um, and surprisingly, both children seemed to um, really enjoy it, which was a plus. Um, that's Amelia Shakespeare. And one of the best bits of the experience was the gardens. Because aside from the gardens themselves, which were very pretty and very well maintained, um, in the middle was a courtyard and they'd hired a couple of actors um, to perform bits from Shakespeare's plays, all from memory. It was very impressive. And what was more impressive is that they were taking requests from the audience. So obviously it had to be a Shakespeare play. I couldn't request Les Mis. I mean, <laughs> I assume not. I didn't try. Um, but you'd say one of his plays, Hamlet or Macbeth or Much Ado, and they would perform a bit of it for you. It was sort of like uh, Netflix, but in real life. Okay? <laughs> so we watched these guys for a while, and each time they asked for a new play, Amelie would say, Romeo and Juliet, in her little seven-year-old girly voice, but was inevitably drowned out by the American tourists. Um, <laughs> Not that I have anything against Americans, but they can be loud when they want to be. Eventually, though, Amelie plucked up enough courage to yell, Romeo and Juliet, at the top of her voice. And to her delight, they obliged. They elected to do the balcony scene. Now, if you don't know the play, um, it's the famous scene that begins with Juliet speaking from her balcony into the night. Oh, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Deny thy father and refuse thy name, or if thou will not, but be sworn, my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. And Romeo is he's down in the bushes. Hold on, there's more. There's more. Romeo's down in the bushes like a creepy weirdo. Um, and Juliet continues. She says, "'Tis but thy name that is thy enemy. Thou art thyself, though not a Montague. What's a Montague?' Is it nor hand, nor foot, nor arm, nor face, nor any other part belonging to a man? Oh, be some other name. What's in a name? That which we would call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet. So Romeo would, were he not Romeo called, retain that dear perfection which he owes. Without that title, Romeo, doth thy name, and for that name, take no part of thee, take all of myself. Thank you. I know what you're thinking. I've missed my true calling. <laughs> it's all right. I'm happy. I'm happy, honestly. Uh, it's a very saucy speech, especially for a Sunday morning. Um, quite worrying that my seven-year-old was so keen to hear it. Um, but Juliet's point is that if Romeo would only change his name, they could be together. Not the Romeo part, but the Montague part, because Juliet was a Capulet and the Montagues, and Capulets were at war. And she says that now infamous line, what's in a name? And that's the question that I'd like to try and answer this morning. Not about Romeo, but about Paul's favourite names in Philippians. So, if you have your Bibles, phones, tablets, I wonder if you would turn to Philippians chapter 2 for us. And I'm going to read to you from verse 9, although we've heard it a few times this morning already. This is what it says. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So here we see three of Paul's favourite words, God, Jesus Christ, and Lord. But before we begin to pick them apart this morning, we need to deal with the therefore 
that we see at the start of verse 9, because therefore is used to speak of the result of an action. I eat a lot of crisps, therefore I'm overweight. I went to a wedding yesterday, therefore I'm tired this morning. And so we know that Paul is concluding something here. But what is it that he's concluding? If we cast our minds back to last week, you'll remember that Paul started this part of the letter with an appeal. It was an appeal for peace and unity in the church. This is what he says at the start of chapter 2. And I'm going to read it to you from the message paraphrase because I think it's quite helpful. He says, If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ... If his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favour. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside And help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. So help each other out. Be kind, loving, gracious, one of the keep the peace. And then he gives us an example to follow, a supreme example. The example of Jesus. Steve began our service with this next bit this morning. He says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity. He took on the status of a slave, became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death. At that, a crucifixion. Okay, so to help us wrap our heads around this passage this morning, I'm going to turn this section of the Bible into a graph. Remain calm. <laughs> I know some of you are big fans of graphs. We've had some English lit already with Shakespeare. Now I'm going to appease you math nerds. So this is the graph I've created. There's a microphone there. All right. So, on the y-axis, you remember GCSE maths? Y-axis? On the y-axis, we have um, all of creation. So, beginning with God at the top, and then roughly in size order, universe, galaxies, stars, planets, us. And then that includes, you know, like aardvarks and parrots and snails and... All of the rest of the things that uh, happen to be around Earth. And then um, on the x-axis, we have all of time. So it's a fairly ambitious graph. <laughs> I will, um, I'll give you that. <laughs> we'll, we'll do our best. <laughs> so Paul begins by telling us that Jesus has equal status with God. This is verse 6. He wasn't the only apostle who thought this way. At the start of John's Gospel, he says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. 
And the, the word here is another name for Jesus. We know this because a little bit later on, John says, the word became flesh, made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and his son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Also, the writer to the Hebrews says that in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So we know that in the beginning, Jesus was equal to God. So the, uh, the line I'm going to draw is Jesus, okay? So. There we go. And then Paul tells us that when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. So when the time came is not um, very accurate, so we're going to just have to take a guess this morning. But he went from here all the way to there, roughly. And then he says he remained human, so he doesn't shoot, he doesn't think, Oh, when the water's too cold. Nope, <laughs> straight back up. But he remains human. This is all of time, so I'll have to just do a little <laughs> line. Scale is very important. Um, and then Paul tells us that in verse 8, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death, a crucifixion. So having already humbled himself, he now moves even lower to the lowest point on our graph. And this is where we encounter the therefore. This is where the therefore comes into play. This is what we get. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so he goes from here. All the way back up there. And the Apostle Peter writes, he has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and power in submission to him. And this is where he remains. Okay. So this is my graph. I'm going to refer back to that in a minute or two, so please bear it in mind. But let's just return to those names for a moment. Paul writes that Jesus has been given the name that is above every name. And this is a really important thing for us to wrap our heads around this morning because in Jewish thought, a name was not just something that you gave someone because it sounded pretty or because you saw it in a film once and you thought it was cool. Um, but a name is given to convey the nature, the history, and the reputation of that person. It's not just what you're called, but it's who you are. And it's actually a really key concept, as I say, for us to bear in mind when reading the Bible. For example, early on in Scripture, when Moses asked God, what should I call you? What he's really asking is, who are you? What are you like? How should I relate to you? The name of a person tells us something really important about them. The name the Jewish people use for God 
in the Bible is represented by the Hebrew letters yod he va he or Y-H-V-H. That's what it looks like written down. And it's often referred to as the ineffable name or the unutterable name. It essentially means that it's too great, too extreme to be expressed in words. It essentially means to be, not to be or not to be, we've moved on from Shakespeare, but to be. God is eternal. He is the source of all being. All of creation comes from him. He is utterly transcendent. He is beyond our comprehension. The name of God is considered holy, so holy, in fact, that they don't pronounce it. Instead, they refer to God as Hashem, which means literally the name, or El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. Because there is no higher name than God's. And so when Paul tells us that Jesus has been given the name that is above every other name, there is only one name that that can be, the name of God. And you see, while he was here on earth, At this point, he was given all sorts of names. He was called a liar and a blasphemer, and he was called an agent of Satan. And we're told that as he lowered himself to the cross, insults were hurled at him. He was reduced to nothing. But now Paul writes that he's been given the name above every name. And Peter said the same. At the gathered crowds at Pentecost, 50 days after his crucifixion, when the Holy Spirit arrived He told them, he said, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of him. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not send to heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The Lord said to my Lord, it's the same name. When we think of the word Lord in our context, we probably imagine someone from a stately home um, in a tweed jacket, fox hunting with a polo stick or something. Um, But when we see the word Lord in the Bible, it has divine connotations. In the Old Testament, whenever you see Lord spelt in all capitals, it's a translation of the Hebrew letters, Yod, He, Va, He, the name of God. Jesus is both God and Messiah, Lord and Saviour. That's what's being said here. Now for the Philippians, this had a particular challenge. Remember from previous weeks that Philippi was a Roman colony. They lived under Roman rule. And anyone who was a resident of the Roman Empire was required to swear an oath of allegiance to the emperor, part of which was a declaration that Caesar was Lord, that Caesar was God. And so for the Christian, this was idolatry. And many of them refused, which cost them their lives. Again, remember, Paul is under house arrest, awaiting trial under the emperor. But he had no doubt who was Lord in his life. Caesar might have been an important name, but it was not the name above all names. That belonged to Jesus alone. Now, thankfully, we're not required to declare that anyone is Lord or God um, in English rule, but... That doesn't mean that we don't allow certain things to rule in our lives that perhaps shouldn't. Things like money, or technology, or food, 
relationships, difficult circumstances work. Anything can become our Lord if we allow it to have mastery over us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Are there lords in our life that shouldn't be there? Perhaps a good question to ask ourselves this morning is who has the most control in our lives? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Paul goes on to say that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, in Paul's mind, this is a certainty that those in heaven, on earth and even those who've died Every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. John, in his vision recorded in Revelation, gets a glimpse of this future. He writes, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. We've been singing it this morning, haven't we? Worthy is the Lamb. I'm going to calm down before I break into song. But we also know that at the moment this isn't the case. Certainly there are many people who are willingly bowing the knee and confessing that Jesus is Lord. There are quite a few of us here this morning, judging from the volume of that last song. But there are many who don't. There are many who still hurl insults at him, as though he was still on the cross. Some who even deny his existence. But Paul's point is that eventually we're all going to arrive at the same conclusion. Only for some of us it will be with resentment and despair. See, to bow the knee to Jesus now means salvation. Paul writes in Romans, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. But to bow the knee and confess before the judgment seat means condemnation. In Matthew 7, Jesus himself is recorded as saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Because it's not just enough to say it. We have to live it too. Bowing and confessing conveys both the idea of words and actions. So perhaps the next question we should ask ourselves is, do we live as though Jesus is Lord of our lives? Or do we live as though he is more of an abstract concept to us? A nice idea, a series of encouraging words or sayings. Maybe a buddy that we occasionally hang out with. Maybe, maybe even a teacher or a mentor, but not our God. And I guess the answer to that is how seriously we take his words to us. John writes of an occasion where many followers left Jesus because they found his teaching too difficult, too hard. And so Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, What about you guys? Are you going to leave? As well, and Peter answered for them. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Have we come to believe that this morning?
because it has serious implications for the way we live. It means that we need to do our utmost to live in his will, to give our lives in service to him, and it's hard. It means that we humble ourselves in the same way that Jesus did. It means that we make ourselves less as Jesus did. It means that we are obedient to God even when we don't have the answers, that we trust him. It says he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. The Christian life isn't an easy one. We're never promised that. In fact, Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. It might mean suffering, it might mean pain, it might mean ridicule and hardship, it might mean that you need to endure things that you don't think you can. But before you lose hope, here is the point of this passage, here is the point of these verses. Let me return to the graph. When we follow the same trajectory as Jesus Look where we end up. Here, in glory. There is a promise in these words this morning. It's the same promise that Jesus makes when he says, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Or when the Apostle Peter writes, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. The reality is that for a lot of us, at the moment, we live here at the bottom. But we live here in the knowledge that we're heading here. This, this is a blip in eternity. My paper's not really long enough <laughs> to display that correctly for you this morning. This life is hard and unfair, unjust, heartbreaking, soul-crushing, demoralizing. And some days, I'm sure we wonder why we get out of bed at all. But we are heading here. Come on. When we arrive in glory, all of this will fade away because this line goes on forever. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, and I'm coming to the end. I'm going to finish with this. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far awaits them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is, what is seen is temporary, yet what is unseen is eternal. Let me read you that again, but in the message. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There is far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we cannot see will last forever. You see, when we're in the, the pit of despair, it can be really hard to see a way out, can't it? And that's why we need to hold on to the name of Jesus. 
Shakespeare said, what's in a name? In the name of Jesus, there is the promise of eternity. There is the assurance that all things will be redeemed, that all things will be restored, will be mended, will be fixed, will be made new, that all the hurt and all the pain will be so far removed that it will be a blip in eternity, small potatoes. Jesus is the name above all names, our Lord and our God. I want to finish this morning with a video. And while the video is playing, the band are going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a song about the name of Jesus. What else? And if you know Jesus this morning, what I really want you to do is sing it like you mean it. Sing it as a declaration, if you like, a a proclamation. And as you sing that song, if you begin to recognize areas in your life where Jesus is not God where perhaps we've allowed other things to become our Lord, to take control, then I want you just to lay them down this morning. And say again, God, I want you to take my whole life. I want you to be Lord of my whole life. I want to give it to you. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, then I want to remind you of Paul's words when he says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you want to start a journey with Jesus this morning, all you need to do is accept him into your heart. Say thank you for what he's done and tell God that you want to be a part of this journey.